This message was presented at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Aloha. I bring you greetings from the warm, beautiful islands of Hawaii. How many of you have been to Hawaii before? All right. How many of you wish you've been to Hawaii before? You know, one of my dreams is that one day we can have GYC in Hawaii. How about that? You won't have to bring your jackets when you come. <laughs> Hopefully one day that could happen. I want to thank God for the privilege of standing before you here to share this final charge. It's always a high honor, a great joy, a privilege to share God's holy word. This morning for our final charge, I'm going to share a message I've shared few places before, but you know, some things are worth repeating over and over. It's a message that will challenge us to truly go to the end. It's entitled, Driven and Drawn, Further Beyond. And so I hope you brought your Bibles. I hope you brought a spiritual appetite. Let's begin. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Psalms 39. Psalms 39. In the book of Psalm 39, we find a poetic prayer of serious and solemn reflection. It comes from one that is struggling to express the conviction of his heart. He just could not put into words the feelings of his mind. It is the testimony, the prayer of one who has a burning experience with the Lord. Notice what the psalmist says here in Psalms 39. If you're there, would you please say amen? Dear Lord, we have opened your holy word. We pray now that you would speak to us. And give us spiritual ears that we might hear that still, small voice speaking to us. And I pray that you'd stir our hearts within with Holy Spirit, fiery conviction. And may the conviction result in a deeper conversion of our lives. Please, Lord, hide me behind the blessed cross. Speak to me and through me, to each one of us. And I pray that our lives would never be the same as a result. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Psalms 39, verse 1, the Bible says, I said, I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle, while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. Verse 3, my heart was hot within me, and while I was musing, the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue. Here the psalmist describes the spark of conviction that grew into an overwhelming flame. The psalmist is saying here that he was musing, he was meditating, he was contemplating and cogitating upon his present situation. And as he did, the molten lava of emotion swirled in his heart and it bubbled in his mind and that inferno was unquenchable. The blaze was inextinguishable. And so when he finally opened his mouth to express the feelings of his heart, it was like a volcanic eruption of emotion that was just poured out. And I want to submit to us, friends, today that this is the way that we ought to pray and praise and preach Jesus to the end of the world, with the fire 
of Holy Spirit conviction. It wasn't long ago when I got the chance to visit the old Hawaiian town called Kalapana. Kalapana was once a popular and well-populated beach town located right along the southeast shore of the big island at the base of Kilauea. Kilauea is the longest active volcano in the world located right there in the beautiful islands of Hawaii. But tragically, the whole town was wiped out during the 1986 lava flow. Every business, every street, and every home was destroyed by the lava flow. And so when you go there now, all you can see is a desolate desert of black lava rocks. There's really nothing that's easy on the eye, but there's something at the end of town that drew hundreds of people every single day. But in order to see it, you have to go beyond the paved, easy pathway. It's a tiresome four-mile hike, but every step is worth it. Because when you get to the end, you're brought to see what, what I call one of the top five things to see before you die. And that is raging rivers of lava flowing into the Pacific Ocean. It is an incredible sight. I did the trip not long ago. I was driven and drawn further beyond. And what I saw was absolutely mesmerizing. The pictures just don't do it justice. So allow me to try to describe it for you upon the canvas of your imagination. After the four-mile hike, you have to go down this rugged, rocky road, and you have to walk out over the jagged, broken, uneven mounds of black lava rock. Then you come to the edge of the cliff that overlooks the fiery peninsula. And from that vantage point, you can see streams of these red river rocks flowing into the ocean. And when the lava touches the water, it creates a violent reaction. The river of hot lava rock clashing with the cold liquid ocean creates an incredible sight. There are aggressive explosions of red rocks shooting into the air, followed by streaks of red and orange sparks arching to the ground. And the intense heat causes the salt water to vaporize immediately on contact, creating billowing steam clouds that rise hundreds of feet into the atmosphere. And the glow of the molten rock causes the steam clouds to glow up red and yellow and orange and even pink and purple at times. Now, some of the lava solidifies, increasing the landmass of the island, and other smaller pieces of lava explode into millions of pieces, creating beautiful black sandy beaches. And it's an amazing, amazing sight. Sunsets and sunrises are the best time to view it so that you can see the transitioning colors from day to night and from night to day. And I got the chance to experience both and was blessed to capture some amazing pictures. And to say the least, friends, I was blown away by what I saw. I was awakened by its light, warmed by its heat, mesmerized by its movement, and captivated by its power. I could definitely spend hours just watching the power of God through living creation. In fact, how many of you would like to come to Hawaii one day and see it for yourself? Amen. But I'm sorry to tell you that in the most recent eruption a few months ago, all the lava in the crater drained out like water in a bathtub. But you can still go and see the aftermath of the flow, and you can walk on freshly made black sandy beaches. It's beautiful. But in order to see it, you have to be driven and drawn further beyond. My friends, as I had this experience, I got to thinking that there's something about fire that captivates the senses. And I believe that this is how God wants us to feel about Him. And work in sharing him with others. That's how the psalmist felt when he prayed. And by the way, Jeremiah the prophet felt the same way. 
In Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9, Jeremiah testified, And I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in mine heart as burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay, Jeremiah said. You see, there came a time in Jeremiah's experience where he tried to repress the message and resist the mission. There came a time in Jeremiah's experience that he got discouraged because it seemed like no one was listening to what he was saying. And so he tried to keep quiet. But the fire of God consumed him. The living word in his heart was crying out to be heard, crying out for expression, and Jeremiah couldn't hold it back. He had to let it out. And so like a volcanic eruption, he proclaimed the unquenchable words of life, and thus the light of truth penetrated the darkness of indifference. The warmth of love penetrated the coldness of spiritual error. My friends, today we live in a cold, dark world a world where the love of many is growing cold. And I submit that what we need more in our lives, in our marriages, in our ministries, in our messages, is the unquenchable fire of God. But in order to obtain it, we have to be driven and drawn further beyond. When we were in Europe a few years ago, we were in such and such a city, and we saw one of the most disturbing sights we'd ever witnessed. We saw postered, posters plastered all over the city and all over the news and internet of, of a man who set himself on fire. He was a Tibetan exile that doused himself with gasoline, set himself on fire in order to protest the injustice, injustices of the Chinese president. And in that city, everywhere you turned, you saw posters of this man. It was a disturbing sight. This extreme act caught the attention of the whole world. And when I saw that, I started thinking, you know, when the church of God is on fire, the whole world is going to take notice. It reminded me of what that famous English reformer and method, spiritual method man John Wesley said, catch on fire and people will come for miles to watch you burn. And friends, I, I believe that that's perhaps one of the reasons why many of our churches are empty is because our churches, our ministry, our messages, like the offering of Cain, we lack the fire of God. That's what we need, friends. Last year, January, my family and I experienced a terrible tragedy. Some of you heard about it. At 3 o'clock in the morning, a thief came in the night and set fire to the abandoned house next to our hours. And that's me trying to extinguish the flame with my garden hose. The fire quickly spread to our home, causing over $700,000 of damage. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, we saw almost all the people that lived on our street that came out of their house. They left their warm beds, and they're out on the cold street to watch the fire. And as I saw that, I was thinking, man, what was it that caused them to leave their beds, to wake these people up, to come out to the cold street? There's something about fire that wakens people. There's something about fire that brings people together in times of coldness and darkness. And my friends, this was the experience of the early apostolic church. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, where we read about the experience of the original church, the early apostolic church, and how they had the fire 
of heaven. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, and when you get there, would you let me know by saying amen? It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of what? Like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. Here we read, friends, of the experience of the apostles. You see, before this, they had experienced the tragedy, for them at least, of the cross. For the disciples, the cross was a time of great darkness and great uncertainty. However, in the upper room, they had received the fire from heaven, and they finally understood the prophetic significance of the cross. And the fire of heaven united them in an unstoppable movement. As the fire of the Holy Spirit fell upon that early church, a wildfire of spiritual revival swept across the land, bringing spiritual revolution to the whole world. 3,000 baptized in one day, and the gospel's flame began to spread to the ends of the earth. As the lava of divine love flowed, God's kingdom, the landmass of the kingdom of God, was enlarged. But I ask the question when I read this, when I thought about their experience and the wonderful success that they had, why were their words so convincing? What did they have that we lack? Why is it that we're not experiencing the power of Pentecost today? What was their message about? Well, the Bible says that they spoke with tongues of what? Fire. You guys seem tired today. You had a good prayer meeting last night, I'm sure. <laughs> but if you feel tired, just shake yourself. And if you see someone next to you nodding off, give them a sanctified nudge. <laughs> well, the Bible says they spoke with tongues of fire. Now tell me, friends, what is the purpose of a tongue? It's not only to taste good food, but the primary purpose of your tongue is to communicate. So when it says that they had tongues of fire, it's because the message they communicated was a fiery message. It was a message of fire and brimstone, but not like how we think. And friends, if we, can, if we can discover what their message was, we will then be able to define what the fire is that made all the difference for them and would make all the difference for us. So what exactly was the main point of that Pentecostal sermon? Well, if you read in verse 36... Peter is coming to the conclusion, and he is summarizing the main point of that sermon that brought spiritual revolution to the world. Notice Acts 2, verse 36. It says, therefore, and that word therefore is a conclusionary word. Peter is about to articulate the main point of the sermon. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's what the message was. Now we can define what the fire is. The main point of that Pentecostal sermon was that one that they counted as a criminal, that they nailed to that cruel cross, was indeed the Christ of God. And friends, when they realized that, they understood that the fire was the burning love of God. A love that can look into the face of his murderers and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
It was a love that was stronger than death, a love that is stronger than sin. You see, my friends, to be on fire doesn't necessarily mean that we are filled with evangelistic zeal because there are many people that are zealous for evangelism but are cold like an Arctic winter. The reality is, is that to be on fire really is to be in love. Amen? And this love of God, this unselfish love demonstrated at the cross, it consumed the early church of their earthliness. The fire of this love burned their unbelief. It warmed the coldness of their heart. It enlightened the darkness of their lives, and then it began to spread to the ends of the earth. To be on fire simply means to be in love. In fact, I want you to notice how the love song of the Bible, the Song of Solomon, describes the love of God. You know, when you want to get in touch with your romantic side, you read the book Song of Solomon, right? <laughs> it's a love song, a song between the husband and the bride. And notice what it says here, Song of Solomon chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. The Bible says, please write it down, notice with me on the screen. It says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of what? Fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. To be on fire simply means to be in love. The apostles were consumed by God's love. And the flame was so intense that the floods of persecution and opposition could not quench that flame. The church was drawn by the lava of Jesus' love, and now they were driven to share it to the whole world. They were driven out of their comfort zone to go to the end of the earth. They were driven and drawn further beyond. The church of God was on fire. And my friends, we've been told that what happened back then is but a glimpse of what God is wanting to repeat in the last days with the remnant church. We've been told that the former flame is, is just a glimpse of, of the greater latter flame of the last days, and God wants to be a part of that final great spiritual reformation, a religious revolution that will set the whole world on fire, and it's up to you if you want to be a part of it. It is called in the Bible the Elijah message, the Elijah generation, individuals whose lives will be consumed by the fire of heaven. Friends, how many of you want to be a a part of that final fiery movement. Amen? But in order to be a part of it, we have to be driven and drawn further beyond. Well, the question is this. Where do we start? Because before we can be drawn further beyond, we got to start somewhere. We got to start close to home. So where does the work of a world changer, a heaven filler, a destiny transformer actually begin? You know, the song says it only takes a spark that gets a fire going. So where does the spark begin? Where did it begin for them? Well, our theme verse for this GYC is Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Let's read that again. Bible says, but you shall receive power. That's the word dunamis by which we get the English word dynamite, the power of God, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in where first? Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we see, according to the passage, that the dynamite power of the Spirit 
ignited this spiritual revolution, but the divine spark would first burn in Jerusalem. In relation to the disciples, that was closest to home. But then the impact of that spark would be like a, the ripple effect. It would go from Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then to the end, the uttermost parts of the world. And friends, the principle, the simple and profound principle from this is that if you want to be a world changer, before you go to the end of the world, you have to go to the end of your street. You got to start at home first. Be faithful in the little things. Do the duty that lies nearest to you. Don't worry about what you don't have. Just give what you got and God will give you more. And like Jesus, have a faithful regard for the one soul audience, the person that God places in your path from day to day. And friends, this verse impacted me so profoundly when I became a Christian. You see, my journey in evangelism started really when I was converted. When I was 16 years old, I wasn't brought up in church or any religion, and growing up, I had no idea about what the Bible taught or what God was like, and uh, the Lord saved me in, from that situation. And I gave my first sermon when I was 16 years old. You should have heard it. It was terrible. <laughs> but the Lord started giving me opportunities, and I just shared what I knew. I went back to my old public high school, and I started giving Bible studies. And I remember the first Bible study I gave, it was very simple. It was just five minutes long, three simple verses that I had highlighted in my Bible. And I just read those verses, and I, I, I kind of strung them together. And I read them with conviction and gave little comments. And I noticed that when I did that, one of the, one of the sisters, one of the uh, classmates that was in the Bible study started weeping uncontrollably with conviction of her need of God. And let me tell you, friends, when I saw that, I was hooked. I found a new high, <laughs> evangelism. And I, was, I said to myself, man, I want to do this for the rest of my life. To let God use me to have that kind of impact on somebody else. And so I started to, to lead out in Bible studies in that, in that public high school. And, and, and the Lord blessed in a rich way. You see, before I came to know Jesus, I was on fire. But it was with the strange fire of marijuana. In Hawaii, we call it pakalolo. Because when you smoke it, it makes you lolo. <laughs> but when I found Jesus, he set me on fire with the Holy Spirit. And I would go back to my old friends I used to do drugs with. You know, they would try to tempt me, try to get me back. I will say, no thanks, I found a new high. I found the most high. You ought to try it. And they would listen. They would come to these Bible studies that I held every day, and I wasn't trained to do it. I didn't know what I was doing. I, I simply shared what I knew as a high schooler in public high school. And as a result of those Bible studies, six of my friends and their family members made decisions and were baptized as well. Amen? Amen. After graduating from high school, I took a year off to work for God in my own hometown. And the reason why I chose that, because I read Acts 1 verse 8, the theme verse for our conference. 
And I saw that God called the disciples to burn in Jerusalem first, then Judea, Samaria, before they would go to the end. And so I was convicted and to, to just stay home for a year and be a missionary in my own hometown. And my objective for that year, my goal was I wanted to canvas every neighborhood and knock on every door I could in that time period in my hometown, offering Bible studies and, 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 and sharing Jesus with people in my own community before ministering to strangers. I wanted all my friends, my family, those whom I already had influence over, to, not, to have an opportunity to hear the things I heard and to know the Jesus that I'd come to know. My friends, when I made that decision to be a missionary in my own hometown, no one told me to do it. No one asked me to do it. No one trained me to do it. I didn't ask anyone's permission. I simply did it because that's the conviction God placed on my heart according to Acts 1 and verse 8. And that was one of the greatest years. My faith grew as I learned to trust God day by day. God wants to use you to change your hometown, your home church, your school, your community. If God can use an ex-druggie like me, he can use anyone. Amen? But after that year was finished, I was driven and drawn further beyond. Went to a two-year Bible college in the dry, hot, arid desert of Arizona And that was a burning experience in more ways than one. After that, I was hired by the Central California Conference to do evangelism, where my wife and I remained for about 11, 12 years, and there are too many stories, too little time to tell it. But what happened was this, friends. God was gradually spreading me out and taking me further. Acts 1 verse 8 tells us that Jesus called the disciples to burn in Jerusalem first, closest to home. Then let the fire spread to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's a divine precedent the Lord gives us to follow. Now, when you think about those who were world changers, there's one that stands out as a world changer of the highest order. For me, it would be the Apostle Paul. Paul lived out the Great Commission. He was one that would spend and be spent for the cause of Christ. He saw the fire of love on the road to Damascus, and when he saw that divine flame, ever afterward, he was consumed by that gospel. He wanted everyone to know what a precious friend he'd found in Jesus, and Paul was one who was driven and drawn further beyond. Take your Bible. Let's go to the book of Romans chapter 15. I want you to notice the testimony of the apostle Paul to the church there at Rome. Romans 15, beginning with verse 20. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church there, and he is describing the consuming burden of his life. Romans 15, verse 20. And if you're there, would you please say amen? Romans 15, 20, the the Apostle says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Verse 21, rather it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. Here we read Paul's burning desire was to preach the gospel in places where the name of Christ was not known. And by the time Paul is writing this epistle to the Romans, he had already done several missionary trips all over the Mediterranean Sea. And he had already suffered so much for the Savior. Paul had experienced shipwreck three times. He was shunned and he was smitten. He was bruised and battered and beaten. But the fire continued to burn in his heart and ministry. Paul had spoken to all kinds of people. 
Many people all over the world, commoners and kings and priests and princes and pheasants, he had spoken to men of great renown and women of special significance. And by this time, he had saturated the regions thoroughly and the fire of God was spreading rapidly. And so, finished with Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, Paul is now heading to the uttermost parts of the earth. For there was one distant corner of the then-known Mediterranean world that Paul longed to see. Notice where that place was in verse 23. But now, Paul says, but now that there's no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to where? When I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there, after I've enjoyed your company for a little while. Here we, free, we see, friends, that the longing of Paul's heart was for Spain. Because Spain represents the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, Spain was far away from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. It was the absolute outskirts of the then-known world. And friends, if you are to go to Spain today, the country of Spain has a motto. The motto of the country of Spain is Latin plus ultra. And do you know what that means? Of course you do. You see it on the screen. It literally means further beyond. So Paul's desire for Spain was a desire to go further beyond. You see, Spain was like the end of the then-known Mediterranean world. Isolated and secluded, few had been there. It wasn't an easy trip, and very few people attempted the journey. But Paul knew, friends, that in order to fulfill the gospel commission, to finish the work, he had to go to Spain, which is the uttermost parts of the world. And so for Paul, going to Spain meant finishing the work and going home. That's why he wanted to go to Spain. You know, there's somebody else in the Bible that also wanted to go to Spain. His name was Jonah. Jonah wanted to go to Spain, Tarshish, that's Spain. But he wanted to go there on vacation, but Paul was going there on a mission. You see, Paul made it clear to the church at Rome that he was just going to visit them on his way to Spain. For Paul, Rome was just a brief pit stop. Rome was the layover, but Spain was the destination. Why? Because a church had already been established in Rome. The gospel had already been preached there. But Spain was still untouched territory. And so Paul's desire for Spain is because he was driven and drawn further beyond. And my friends, in the same way, God is calling us to go to Spain, to finish His work in this generation, to take the gospel commission to the end, to its final fulfillment. You see, my brothers and my sisters, Spain represents going outside of our comfort zone for Christ, entering that which is not familiar with us, moving beyond that which is pleasing to us, letting God bring us to the end of ourselves that we might have a new beginning in Him. But tragically, unfortunately, too many of us have stayed in Rome and have never gone to Spain. We have stopped short of fulfilling the mission. We have fallen short of reaching our full potential. 
Perhaps we've been attracted and distracted by the luxuries and the comforts of the Roman palaces or the excitement of the Roman games. Many people have made Rome their home and forgotten their mission to Spain. We've gone part of the way, but not all the way in our walk with Jesus. We've been content with fulfilling only a fraction of the will of God. We've been comfortable in complacency and lazy and Laodicean lukewarmness. We have forgotten that Rome was a part of the journey, but it's not the destination, and that God has something greater and grander and more glorious for us in Spain. And so I want to ask you the question today, young people, Where's your Spain? The specific mission that God is calling you to fulfill. And what Roman pleasure is hindering you, stopping you from going to Spain? Is it a relationship that's more important to you than God? Or maybe it's a job, a profession that's consuming all your time. Maybe it's materialism that's consuming all your space. Maybe it's worldly pleasure. Maybe it's your love of ease, your love of comfort that stops you from going to Spain and that is keeping you in the comfort zone of Rome. My friends, what in the world is holding you back? And is it really worth it? What is it in your life that is stopping you from reaching your full potential, that stops you from being all that you can be for the Lord. My friends, somebody said it like this. You can't discover new oceans unless you're willing to lose sight of the shore. You see, just like my trip to Kalapana, I had to go past the paved easy pathway in order to see the fire. And friends, if we want to be a world changer, a heaven filler, a destiny transformer, we have to be driven and drawn to go further beyond. And by, by the grace of God, let's do it. What do you say? Amen? Amen? How many of you want to be a world changer? Don't you want to be a heaven filler and a destiny transformer? Friends, I can't think of anything else to do with life that's more fulfilling than that. To be able to, be able to let God use, use us, our time, our talents, our treasures, our testimony to make an in, e- eternal impact on somebody else. And so my wife and I were in Central California Conference for at least 11 years, almost 11 years. And though we were not formally qualified for the position, according to the short-sighted standards of men, I'm so grateful that the conference was very supportive of us. They had heaven's vision for true ordination. And we were there. We had a wonderful time there. And after conducting over 50 evangelistic stem- seminars all over the conference territory, we began to feel a growing conviction in our heart that the time was coming for us to go further beyond, to step out in faith and to take the message into new territories. There is a growing conviction for us to go beyond the borders of a single geographical location you see, we had become comfortable witnessing in our Rome, but, but now it was time for us to go to our Spain, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, we could have remained in the, in the conference as the conference evangelist forever. I mean, everyone, uh, we experienced great success. The conference was supported. Everyone loved us. And by the way, they, they couldn't not love us. We didn't stay long enough for them to not love us. We are in one church for three, four weeks, and after that, we moved to the next church. <laughs> And so it would have been good for us to stay there. We could have stayed there, but it wouldn't have been best. You see, good is the enemy of the best. 
And God does not lead everyone in the exact same way, but for us at that point, we had this conviction that God was driving us further beyond. And so after much prayer, godly counsel, and with the blessing and support of the conference, we made the decision to resign from that comfortable conference position to step out in faith into new territory. We then officially began our own supporting ministry, Revelation of Hope Ministries. Now we no longer work for the conference or the church. We work for God, but we work with the conference, with the church, helping our churches to to grow and, and, and to become revived and to grow in evangelistic outreach. Our goal is to change the population of heaven, one soul at a time, by sharing the hope, health, and harmony of heaven in all the world, not in one singular geographical location, but to the whole world. And so what we resign and we move back home to Hawaii because that's where we're born and raised. We made Hawaii our home base, but from there we'd go to the ends of the earth. Wherever God leads, we would go. We're only there for about three months out of the year spread out. After that, we just live the simple mission life going wherever the Lord leads. My wife and I, we travel together to protect our ministry and our marriage. And friends, when we made that decision, for the first three years, since, the, since three years ago we made that decision, the Lord has taken us to over 30 countries, multiple states in the United States, and tomorrow we go to Philippines. This year we're heading to Russia and England and Australia and, and, and Germany. And friends, it's just amazing to think that, that, that God has blessed us and privileged us to be a part of this wonderful prophetic movement of destiny to make a difference for all eternity. It is a great privilege. Now I share that to say this, that in resigning from that comfortable conference position, we were not stepping from one position into another. We were stepping out in faith like Abraham, not really sure how it was going to work out. And let me tell you, friends, it wasn't easy to turn down the the, the financial security of a monthly paycheck. It was difficult to say goodbye to that awesome health insurance we had because you know what the conference health insurance we had 50 free massages every single, excuse me, 30 free massages every year. I wish we had 50. <laughs> and you can be sure that we used every single one of them. <laughs> and so it was hard, but we knew that if it was God's will, it's His bill. Amen? And though we no longer have health insurance, we have heaven's assurance. You know what heaven's assurance is? Eat right, sleep tight, don't fight, ride a bike, go on a hike. Get sunlight, don't be uptight, and keep the Lord in sight. Amen. (laughs) That's heaven's assurance, friends. It keeps you young. It keeps you healthy. And so though though we no longer have an official title, position, or conference paycheck, what we do have is the evidence that we're in the center of God's will and in the protection of His hand, and we have the sublime peace that passes understanding, something that money can't buy and man can't give you by the laying on of hands. Listen, 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 friends. A title, a position, and a paycheck is nice, but it's not necessary. What is necessary is the faith and willingness to trust God and let Him lead you, knowing that if God is leading you, He will never lead you astray, that He knows what's best for us, and He has our best interest in mind all the time. And so I want to challenge you, friends, to live a life without any limits, because only a life lived without limits is a life lived without regrets. And how shall we live such a life? The book Desire of Ages, page 250, says this. There is no limit to the usefulness of one 
who by putting self aside makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart and lives a life holy, consecrated to God. Oh, friends, that's the life I want to live. How about you? Amen? My friends, listen, if God is calling you to Spain, don't stay in Rome. Don't make Rome your comfort zone or your home. True world changers, heaven fillers, destiny transformers will be driven and drawn to go further beyond. But the record tells us that tragically Paul never made it to Spain. His dream for Spain was cut short by the sword of Nero. He died in Rome, and Spain was an unreached destination. But friends, listen, here's the good news. Though Paul did not physically make it to Spain, we can go in his place. We can be the answer to Paul's longing for Spain. You see, there was never an epistle written to the Spanish. That book of the Bible was never written. But the Apostle Paul said that we are the epistle of Christ, known and read of all men. And so we can go as the epistle to Spain. So what are the Spains in your life? The places and the people that you've, you've never made it to. The sights and sounds and smells you've yet to experience. The goals you've yet to reach. The dreams you've yet to fulfill. The mission you've yet to accomplish. The message you've yet to give. The people you've yet to apologize to. And the person you have yet to forgive. Where is your Spain, friend? You see, Spain is an unreached place for Jesus. It's not a bigger paycheck, a comfortable, comfortable home, or a fancy car. Spain is a world that needs to be one for Christ. Spain is a child that needs guidance, a teenager that needs purpose. Spain is a father that needs strength, a mother that needs encouragement, a spouse that needs love. Spain is a pastor that needs your support. Spain is a ministry that needs funding, a stranger that needs a friend, an enemy that needs kindness, a sinner that needs forgiveness. Spain is a world that needs Jesus. Do you have a Spain in your life, in your community, in your academy, your school, your job, or maybe in your home? Maybe there's a Spain in the bed that you sleep in that it needs to be one for Jesus. What stands between you and going to Spain? the Spain that God is calling you. Perhaps, friends, you've made the comfort zone of Rome your home, but you find no comfort. Tell God today, Lord, take me to Spain. Maybe you've been living your life for the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I, and you recognize that a life lived for self is a waste of life. Tell God today, Lord, take me to Spain. Perhaps you've only gone halfway in your commitment to Christ. You've stopped short of a full surrender and a full commitment Tell God today, Lord, take me to Spain. Take me where I've never been before. Do through me what I've never done before. Take me further than I've ever gone before. Lord, help me to be driven and drawn further beyond. Because the beautiful thing, friends, is that God wants to use us, the weakest generation, to do the greatest work of the last day. He wants to use us to reach the deepest, darkest corners of our world. But friends, before we can reach the deepest, darkest corners of the world, we first must let God reach the deepest, darkest corners of our hearts. The areas of our life that's off limits to God. The places of pleasure that we run to for rest, but that, that can't really give us rest. 
And the beautiful reality of the gospel is this. Jesus came to the darkest, dimmest corner of this universe. He left the comforts of the heavenly new Jerusalem. And he came to planet Spain just for you and just for me. Jesus was willing to go to Spain. He was driven and drawn further beyond. It has been said that man would swim the deepest ocean and climb the highest mountain to be with the one he loves. But you and I know that that's not true. It sounds romantic, but it's not practical. Why would you need to swim across an ocean when you can catch an airplane? You don't have to climb the highest mountain because there's no sister up there waiting for you. It's romantic, but it's not practical. But then we hear Jesus speaking to us, saying to us, I never swam the deepest ocean, but I walked on the raging sea to be with you. And I never climbed the highest mountain, but I climbed up Mount Calvary and I hung upon the cross just to be with you. Jesus went the distance for you. He went out of the comfort zone for you. He was driven and drawn further beyond for you. He was willing to do it for you. The question is, are you willing to do it for him? You are worth it to him. Is he worth it to you? I want to close with this very inspiring story about a young man, his name, Jim Elliott. Some of you heard this story before. He was a gifted man that had a successful career of ministry ahead of him. After graduating, he had the option of doing ministry here in the United States. This was in the 1950s, but that was a good option. But for Jim, it wasn't best. You see, he considered the churches of the United States well-fed churches. And so the burden that got laid upon his heart was to go further beyond. His prayer was this. God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life, and may I burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. And so the fire of God compelled Jim and four other missionary couples to go further beyond. Their names, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, Nate and Marge Saint, Roger and Barbara Yonderin. Ed and Mary Lou McCulley, Pete and Olive Fleming, these men and their wives left the United States and they made their way to the jungles of Ecuador. Their burden was to reach the fierce and dangerous Waldani tribe, a tribe that, dis- that settled disputes with spears. For them, there is no such thing as diplomacy or talking it out. If they had a disagreement, they would murder each other with spears. They had the highest murder rate per capita. They had no outside contact with the world, and everyone was afraid of them. And so when Jim heard about this unreached tribe, he was not moved by the danger, but he was moved by the fire of heaven to share the warmth of the gospel with these people. And so they devised, they, they, they moved there to Ecuador, and they started to devise a plan to win the confidence of the locals. So they would fly over the tribe deep in the jungle on an airplane, and they would drop care packages of, of food and tools and other gifts try, for over several months trying to win the confidence of the people. And finally, the day would come when they would land the plane and make contact with this fierce and dangerous tribe. Everyone was praying for their success, and God answered their prayers. This is actually an 
picture of that first encounter they had with this unreached tribe. God had answered their prayers, and they were rejoicing in Jesus. But when they went back the second time, all five of those missionaries were murdered. They were speared to death. Just like Jesus, they were brutally murdered by those who they were trying to save. And every single one of those five brothers were in their 20s. They knew the risk. They understood the danger. And yet they were willing to get out of the comfort zone of Rome to go to Spain. My friends, listen. God did not guarantee that there would be no pain in Spain. Just like Jim and just like Jesus, at times we will experience pain when we go to Spain. If not physical pain, for sure growing pains. But through the pain, people will be able to see that divine flame. And they will come to know of Jesus' mighty name, the loving Lord who came to remove the shame. And so, my brothers and sisters, despite the pain, let's go to Spain, out of the comfort zone for the cause of Christ. Jim was that missionary martyr who said these words, and I quote, here's what Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim and his friends lived by this saying. They gave their lives for the cause of Christ. They gave themselves completely away to be used of God. They found a cause for which they were willing to die. Listen, friends, a life without a cause is a life without effect. And their life was not without effect. Their death was not in vain. For in losing their life, they were able to find it. Now let me tell you the end of the story. Their widow wives and children continued to work amongst the tribe that had murdered their husbands and their fathers. The widow wives and their children continued and they established relationships over a period of time with the Wadani tribe. They actually became a part of the tribe. They moved in with the tribe. And these widow mothers actually raised their children in that tribe. And when they won their confidence, they started to contextualize the gospel. They talked to the Wadani about the creator that has a huge hut in the heavens. And that this creator has left a trail through the jungle leading to that hut. And along the trail, there are carvings on the tree that shows them the way. And one of the carvings say, thou shalt not kill. And as a result of learning God's will, the Wadani tribe, they laid down their spears and they picked up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And today, friends, that tribe is a Christian tribe accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? But you know what moves me the most with this story? Is that those five missionary martyrs, they do not know the end of the story. The last thing they saw was the end of the spear. Can you imagine what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all get to heaven? And those missionary martyrs that were speared to death, 
They see in heaven those people that speared them, that tribe that, 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 that took their lives. Can you imagine the joy that will be theirs? Seeing those whom they had died for eternally saved because of their sacrifice. That's going to be the end of their story. The question is, what will be the end of your story? How will the book of your life finish? How will the song of your story come to an end? Well, friends, God has revealed to us in the book of Revelation how our story can end. That is, with the great multitude standing on the sea of glass, mingled with fire, with golden crowns on their brow, and palm branches of victory in their hands. And as you think about that great multitude standing on the sea of glass with fire, the question is, which part of that great throng will be there because of you? What part of God's dream is linked with your destiny? Who will be in heaven because of your flame? Who will be in heaven because you chose to go to Spain? The bottom line is this, friends. Jesus gave all for us. Now he's calling us to give all for him. Father in heaven, Lord, we are so grateful for the amazing gift you've given to us in your Son. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, that you did not remain in the comfort zone of heaven, but you came all the way to planet Spain to save us. Far away from the world of light, you came to a world of darkness to die for us. You were driven and drawn further beyond. Oh, may that love compel us to do the same. Lord, take us to the end of ourselves and the beginning of a new life with you. Bless us now, Lord. Fill this room with your spirit as we make this last final appeal. Give your people courage to choose. And as your heads are bowed, as your eyes are closed, as your heart is open to God in prayer. I want to make a special appeal today. Two specific appeals. For those of you who are happy in Jesus and you're walking in the fire of God's favor, just go ahead and remain seated and pray. But there's some person, young person, here today, that God is calling to experience the baptism of fiery love. You've been here at GYC and you've received Bible studies, you've been listening to the messages, but you've not yet made a full commitment to Jesus. Or maybe you have in the past, but you've fallen away and the fire has grown dim and your love has grown cold. And you sense God calling you to rebaptism, to move in that direction. It's a new year, friends, and you sense God has wanted to give you a new beginning. And you want to stand and say, yes, Lord, I, I, I hear you calling me and I want to respond. I want to stand and say, yes, Jesus, I want a new beginning in the waters of baptism. If that's you, would you stand and say yes to Jesus? And I invite you to more than just stand. I actually want to invite you to come down to the front, to, the, to the, this side on the piano. 
I want to have a special prayer for you. Those who are making that decision the best decision of your life. My friends, Jesus is coming soon. We don't have any time to waste with the foolish things of this world. We must choose today Christ. You don't have the power to change yourself, but you do have the power to choose for yourself. And you don't have to change before you come. All you have to do is choose, and God will give you the change. God bless you. This is a decision for baptism or rebaptism in the near future. Saying you want to go all the way with Jesus. You're tired of living for yourself. You want to live for a greater cause, a higher calling. You want to live for the one that died for you. Jesus died for you. I want to live for him. I want to pass from death into life. This new year, I want it to be a new beginning. The beginning of eternity with Christ. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Now, the next appeal is for those who have already been baptized, but the fire has grown dim, and you want God to rekindle that experience. You're tired of staying in Rome, and you feel today driven and drawn to go to Spain, and you want to say, Lord, today I want to stand, and I want to let you know that I'm willing to go to Spain. Now, that would mean different things for different people. You see, going to Spain may mean that you want to join AFM and be sent out to an unreached place of our world. You want to uh, maybe go to Asia with ASAP or get more information with TMI or go on a share him mission trip. You want to be a missionary like Jim Elliott. You want to go to Spain. Or perhaps going to Spain for you might mean to take a year off to be a student missionary. To go and volunteer time in Palau or Guam or Lebanon or or Japan. To go to a place where they need young people. They need help. They need support. And you're willing to take a year off. I want to be a student missionary. I want to go to the front lines to experience the power of God. If that's you, I invite you to stand and come to this side of the stage. To the end. If you're sensing that, come. Going to Spain may mean getting trained in a short-term Bible college like AFCO or Arise or SALT or SOS, a small Bible college. There's so many different options. And you're, you're feeling compelled that I want to get that training and, and go back to my own home church to do that. Or maybe you are going to Spain for you may mean to learn a new language, a language in the 1040 window perhaps, like Arabic or Japanese. Going to Spain might mean to change your major in school. Or to quit your job to pursue full-time ministry. If so, come to the end right here on this side of the stage and say yes to Jesus. He went to Spain for you. You can go to Spain for him if he's calling. Praise God. God will give you the wisdom to know what it looks like practically for you. He doesn't call everyone to the same mission or the same assignment. But you're saying, Lord, wherever you call, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the ends of the world. Today, I'm driven and drawn by the fire of your love to go further beyond. And now my last general appeal. There are some of us that can't even go to Spain because we've yet to go to Jerusalem. And today, you want to have the strength to do the duty that lies nearest. You can't go to Spain. You haven't even gone to Jerusalem. And you want to say, Lord, give me the the faithfulness. Help me to be faithful in the little things. Help me to have a faithful regard for the one soul audience. And this will mean different different things for different people. 
Going to Jerusalem may mean that you're going to make yourself more available for service in your local community. Or cutting back hours so that, of, of your job so that you can give more time to give Bible studies to people. Or maybe taking on that mission project in your local church or volunteering in your local school academy. That school that is on the brink of shutting down maybe going to Jerusalem for you is giving more of your offerings to send somebody if you cannot go literally yourself. Going to Jerusalem might mean allowing God to heal the broken relationships in your life. Going to Jerusalem might mean spending more time with your spouse, your children, your parents, your brothers, your sisters. Or being a mentor to some young person in church. If that's you, would you stand where you are? You want to say, Lord, I'm starting in Jerusalem. Being faithful where I'm at, growing where I'm planted. And as you lead, I'm going to go to Judea, then Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the world, to the very end. I pray, friends, that this auditorium, as we leave GYC today, as we begin this new year in the presence of God, I pray that this auditorium will be like a volcanic creator from which the fiery rocks of God's people will shoot to the ends of the earth. I invite you to put your arm around the person next to you. Let us hold each other as God holds us and as God sends us to Jerusalem and then to Spain. Father in heaven, Lord, we are so grateful for the burden you've placed on our heart to know you and to make you known to others. Again, Lord, thank you for leaving Jerusalem the heavenly city, the city of peace, and coming to Spain further beyond to reach us. Lord, please forgive us for our selfishness. Forgive us for the areas of our, of our lives that have been off limits to you. Forgive us for having mixed up priorities. Forgive us, Lord, for living only to please self instead of pleasing the Savior. Today, we want to surrender our hearts to you again. And we want to put our lives in your mighty hands. And we pray, Lord, that the fire of your Spirit would fall upon us even now. That you would consume all our earthliness. And that you would set us on fire for you. And that you would send us to the deepest, darkest corners of our world, our community, our homes, our churches, our schools to reach people for you. We recognize, Lord, that we're, we are inadequate, insufficient, and unworthy. So cover us with your righteousness. Cleanse us with your blood. and Baptize us with your spirit. We thank you for the experience we've had. Take us home safely. When you come the second time, we might live with you throughout the ceaseless ages in the fiery city of God. This is our prayer, and we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.com.
www.ghostsandmysteries.org.